Love transforms. I'm going to just cover a couple of things today. What about love? Just a little bit on love. And then I want to talk about transformation. What does it mean it transforms? Transforms what and who? Transforms what and who? So I just want to read 1 John 4, 7 to 11. Starts off. Beloved. I like the King James Version. It's got these nice words in it. Beloved. But you know, beloved, it's much better than saying friend. He's speaking here about you who are loved greatly by God. You who are loved by God. Much better than just saying, hey, friend. You who are loved by God, he says, let us love one another. For love is of God. Like the King James, it says, love is of God, not from God. It's of God. You see, something can be from me. I can go and get a bucket of water and then I pass it to you and you'll say, oh, I got the bucket of water from Dan. And it's from me, yes, but it's not of me. Whereas if I cut my hair off and I give you some of my hair, you'd say, oh, I got this hair and it's of Dan. It's part of him. It's his very essence. And so love is a primary essence of God. It doesn't come from the world. It comes from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. You know, it's a challenging scripture that you cannot love unless you are born in God's eyes, unless you're born of God and know God. And I read that scripture and I pondered on it and wrestled with it. I know people who love me who don't know God. And it's a tangible love. They do things for me. They've done things for me. It's tangible, very tangible. And yet this scripture says that in God's measures, that love doesn't count. Only the love that counts is of God. And all the rest doesn't count. That's what it says. And whoever loves has been born of God. And we know when we're born of God, when we bow our knee and Christ comes into our heart. And until that time, your love is like your righteousness, which is filthy rags. Doesn't count with God. The righteousness of man until he comes to know God, the Bible says, is as filthy rags. Wasted. Nothing. And so love is of God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And we have in the last 10 years, God is love has been stronger and stronger, and it's a message for the church. But I want to balance that a little bit. God is also a consuming fire. If you turned up to God's door, heaven's door, and you walked in as you were, Without the covering blood of Christ, you'd be consumed in an instant. Gone. Turned into vapor. He's a consuming fire, but he's also love. But keep the balance. Remember, God is love. God is love. But God is also many more. And it's one facet of God that he is love. God is righteousness. God is holiness. And it's God himself who brings judgment. God is love. 
And then it goes on to say, in this, and he's going to speak about the begin on this, in the, this is how the love of God was made manifest amongst us. This is how it happened, the love of God. It's that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. And then he goes on again. Understand this about love. In this is love. Understand this. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. See, not, you don't have it in you to love God. Before you were saved, you did not have it in you to love God. See, is that? You can't love him. He loved you. And it's because the love that he gives to me when I open my heart to receive him that I am able to love him. Nothing in, human, in the human person, it's like our righteousness before we meet God. None of our righteousness is fit before him. And the love that you might have thought before you got saved that you had is fit for God. It's not fit for God. It's fit for the dung heap. It really is. It's a challenging word. It's only that which we receive from God that's fit for God. So we have to make sure that we've received from God. Otherwise, it's just the human exertion of love. It's the worldly exertion of love, which counts for nothing. I've received and have been grateful to receive the worldly exertion of love. My parents loved me. Sadly, I don't think my, God, my father accepted Christ. I had a, he had a love for me, but it was a worldly love. You see, the difference between godly love and worldly love is vast. Godly love saves and godly love transforms. And worldly love can do neither of those two things. Worldly love can make me feel safe. Worldly love can make me feel as I'm part of things. Worldly love can even stir emotions in me that causes me to love back. But godly love saves and transforms. And that's, that's hugely important. It's a hugely important difference between what comes from God and what comes from us. And so what does it mean to transform? Transforms means change. And we're changed from what to what? And what part of me has changed? And the first, if you are sitting here as a Christian, you say, I'm a follower of Christ, I've accepted into his heart. Four things happen to you at some point. They're all the same thing, but at salvation, something happened and you were transformed. The first thing is you were transformed from death to life. As an unsaved person, you were dead meat. Colloquial saying, but you're dead. You were dead unto God, and your end result was death and the grave. Never to be joined with God. You were death. But with Christ coming to us, we have life. And I was transformed the day that I literally got on my knees, and it was a literal, I was 30 years old, I got down on my knees, I cried out and said, Lord, save me. And he saved me. And it was night and day. 
1 John 5, 11, 12 says, this is the testimony or this is the record, as in a written record. It's, 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 this is what is recorded, that God has given us eternal life and that life is in his son. And he who has the son hath life and he who doesn't have the son does not have life. Unless you have Christ living in your heart, you do not have life. Sure, you look like you're walking around. Sure, you look like you're enjoying life. But in the real measure that God has, you're dead. Don't have life. The second way, and this is just another facet of the same thing that happened. I went from the, the dominion or kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Christ or the kingdom of light. I was translated very, very quickly. Colossians 1, 13, 14 says, <clears throat> who he's talking about, but that's God the Father. He's delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. That salvation, that's what happened to me and it happened to each one of you if you've given your heart to the Lord. The other thing that happened to us, we went from being outside of Christ to being in Christ. Formerly, you didn't know Christ. You had no part of him. You were outside of him. Nothing from him was translated to you in any manner or form. However, when you bowed your knee and accepted him, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Now, when you read the Bible and it says all things become new, it's actually not to be taken as a challenge. Well, everything didn't become new. I still got a sore toe. Day before I got saved, I had a sore toe. Day after, I still got a sore toe. God's talking about the essence of the man, my spirit. He gave me a new spirit and a new heart. And that became completely new, each one of us. And, you know, I've become a new Christian, and I was sitting there in the church. I started to go to church straight away. And there was a man in the church who'd been in the church for 30 years, and he was full of wisdom and grace, and he'd lived maturing as a man of God. But, you know, I was as much alive as he was. See, I was as much as in God as he was. There was no, there's no ranking in those things. My heart was completely new. My spirit was new. And it remains new to this day. And each one of you here, it remains new. Your spirit, you do not lose your new spirit. You do not lose your new heart. You might say, oh, but you don't know what I've done. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. You're still of God's family with a new heart. That's the truth. It's typed in the Old Testament. They came out of, the Israelites came out of Egypt. They went through the Red Sea. They're out in the wilderness. And some of them are dying, but they're dying as members of the, the, the nation of Israel. And that's a forerunner of the church today. Sure, they did bad things. Sure, some of them didn't believe. Sure, they did these things. But they were as much part of the nation of Israel as Aaron or Moses or Caleb or Joseph or any one of the others I dare name. They were all in the nation of Israel. The same today. Our hearts and spirit remain quickened by God to never be unquickened. 
The new heart he gives you, he never comes and says, I take that new heart away. If you sin three days in a row and do these terrible things, I'll take the new heart away. Never says that. What God gives, he then sets about to bring to pass that which he started. I'm just laying some foundations here for the love of God for us to understand what gets transformed. And the last one, I was taken when I got saved, and you were as well, from under the law of sin and death to under the law of the spirit of Christ, the spirit of, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Okay? That's not the law of Moses' law. This is the law of sin and death. When Adam sinned, a law already existed, but the sin then applied to us, and the law of sin and death applied to us once Adam sinned. And so the law of sin and death was, is, and will continue. That which is sin, that which is not of God, is under the law of sin and death. But I was translated from that, no longer applies to me. I'm now standing under the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And that's the law that I'm under. That's why Paul can tell us, go forward and sin no more. And sin has no, no more hold on you. Because I'm under the law of life, of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So that's, how, that's what happens to me at, and it happened to you at salvation. But what about after salvation? What's this transformation about? You could say, well, I've already been transformed. I don't know why I need to be transformed further. What gets transformed? What needs to be changed? What further of you, what part of you needs to be changed? And don't tell me your body does need changing, but don't worry, your body is not going to be changed. You might get a miracle from God and a healing, but that's okay. But your body is going to get old and it's going to, crumble and it's going to go to dust at some point unless God returns first Jesus returns that's what will happen to your body your body is not in a sense of God transformed you get a new body in heaven I have a heavenly body and my old body does not rank or nor go to heaven so what needs to be transformed and the answer is in Romans 8 1 and 2 for the law of the spirit of life, oh, no, I'm reading the wrong one, uh, but that's okay. What needs to be changed is your thoughts, your attitudes, your ideas, and those things that reside in your mind. And those are the things that need to be changed. You see, when I became a Christian, for me, I knew I was, I knew I was changed. Seriously. I gave my heart to the Lord about four o'clock in the morning. And I knew at that instant I was changed, but I somehow went back to sleep. When I woke up the next morning, I knew I was different. And see, my spirit was different. My heart was different. But during that day, thoughts came to me and said, you know, different. Because if you could have seen in my mind, you'd have seen some thoughts go through my mind that you would have said, well, they're ungodly. That's not a good thought. See, my mind needs to be transformed. Romans 12, 2. I think I put that as a... Uh, no, I'll just read it. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed 
to this world. But be transformed. And then that's the key next, by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, it's our mind because, you see, we act as we think. We act as a result of our attitudes. We act as a result of our beliefs. We act in accordance to our character. You see, and it's your thoughts and your ideas and your mind and your attitudes together with your spirit that makes up your character. And if you're newly saved like I was, my spirit was clean and pure. But my thoughts weren't. And so my character was partially formed. And you looked on me and said, wow, he's a bit of a mixed character, that guy. Got some good stuff in him and he's got some bad stuff in him. He's a bit impatient at times. Pam will say that's continued. <laughs> but it's a lot less than it was, believe me. See, and what needed to be transformed is my soul realm. My soul realm needs to be subject now to my new spirit. Because my soul, until I was 30 years of age, has raged along with my old spirit against God ignoring God and having its own way and thinking it was pretty good. And it needs to come a humbling in my spirit, a, hum a soul in my soul, a humbling in my soul subject unto my spirit and to let the spirit guide me, Holy Spirit guiding my spirit, but my spirit subject over ruling my soul. And that's a transformation. Don't be conformed to the way of this world. Don't be go thinking like this world thinks. Because this world thinking will look good. But understand, it's not godly and it will not count in the day of judgment. It's the way of God. Let your mind be of God. And, 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 and Paul writes to the Philippians over this. He says to them, he says, Wherefore, my beloved, this word beloved again, Paul likes it. You who are greatly loved by God. You who are in the essence, God has placed his essence within you because he's speaking to Christians when he's saying this. So he's saying, you whom God has visited and given part of his own very nature and his son lives within you. To you, he says, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, not only when I'm with you, you've obeyed, but now much more even in my absence, you're still obeying. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And then he goes on to say, For it's God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And this brings up a question for us. You see, I say you have to be transformed. Love transforms. God's going to transform you. And you're going to say, well, how? How's he going to transform me? When is he going to transform me? He's already transformed me at salvation. What's he going to do with my mind? What do I have to do? And Paul has a word in there. Work out your own salvation. And immediately you'll say, but I'm already saved. I'm saved. You're going to tell me my salvation comes in stages? I'm already saved. And what he's speaking about there is not God living within us. He's speaking about letting your mind be transformed so that the salvation of God becomes a full part of your character. You see, as I said, attitudes and spirit give character. Thoughts and spirit give character. And my spirit, God, has done a wonderful thing 
immediately. That happens immediately upon salvation for every person. But my mind and my attitudes need to come into line with God. And that's the working out of my salvation. As I let them come into more and more line with God, my salvation is more and more outworked within me. And hopefully, as you see me, as I get go from 30 to 40 to 50 to 60 to 70 and beyond, I hopefully you see a grating outwork of God's salvation work within me. If you still see the old man Dan Ogle walking around, sure, if you get a spiritual microscope, you look inside, you see he's got a new spirit. And you say to yourself, you wouldn't think so. He still thinks and talks and acts as a man when he's 20 who was unsaved. You see? God wants that to be changed and my soul to be subject to my spirit. And over those years, I pray that you'd be able to say he becomes more Christ-like. Because what's God's purpose for you? What's God's purpose for you? And if I ask you that question, what are your goals in life? What's your purpose and what God has got for you? You can go down the track of, oh, I think he's got, he's got me to marry this young lady. He's got me to build a business and he's got me to do this. No, 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 no. Those are adjuncts and side issues. God desires you to become more and more Christ-like. He desires you to become holy and righteous before him, for he's coming back for a righteous bride. He's not coming back for a bunch of CEOs. He's not coming back for a bunch of people who've got a bank balance above a certain amount. He's coming back for men and women who are righteous before him. His desire is to take us from glory to glory, from this righteousness to righteousness. And giving me a, a new spirit and a new heart, I am in the righteousness of Christ, yes. But he's wanting that to outwork within me in this earth today. And that righteousness to come forth. And that holiness to come forth so that people would look upon me and say, whoa, something's different about him. Something's different about him. There's something, they might not know what it is, because they are dim of seeing, because they don't know God, so they're dim of seeing, but they would see and perceive God within me. I had a chap <coughs> come to me last year, and he said to me, Dan, would you give me three things? He's not a Christian. Three things that you've lived your life by. And I said, oh, yeah, I will, I will, and I didn't. Anyway, I rang him up for something the other day and he said, listen, I asked you last year for three things and you haven't given them to me. And I was, I just thought he was joking when he first said it, so I sort of brushed it off. But I believe he wants three things because within me, he senses between us that there's a difference. He knows that there's a difference. He knows that I go to church. He knows that I believe in God, that I've accepted Christ as my saviour. And so I, I sat down and I said, what do I need to do? What would, I, what would I tell this man? But you know, it's the same advice that I'd give you this morning. You see, like I said, you, you want to be transformed. Well, what you need to do is study your Bible. What you need to do is come to church every day. What you need to do is worship with all your heart. What you need to do, what you need to do, what you need to do. And you'll go, ah, and you'll do it for a week and then you'll stop. What you need to do is pray every day, fast for 40 days. You say, never, never, never. I won't even start that one. <laughs> so what to do, what to do, what to do, you know? You can't do it. It's not of works. Not of works. 
Your transformation will not come because of works. And everybody says, by grace, so I can just sit down and do nothing. Well, that's partly true, but partly not true. You see, it says, for that second last, that last sentence, for it is God which worketh in you, both to will and do of his good pleasure. His good pleasure is that you become righteous and holy. And it's God who works in you to bring that about. God works in you to bring that about. But he does not work in you to bring that about when you've got your face set away from him. When you've got your back to him, he does not work to bring it about. He desires to bring it about. He so loved you that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, to die, bleed, and be risen again for you. So he made the provision. And when you gladly accepted him as your Lord, and changed your heart. But now there's a working out in your life that God wants to do, to bring about his will and to do for his good pleasure. And he wants to bring that out. And how does he do that? And if I just sit down and say, well, he's going to do it one day, God will do it, I'll just go to church, I'll listen to what people tell me, I'll read my Bible, I will fast, I'll do this and do that. What you do won't make any difference. Well, it does make a difference, but it's what it's like. It's like Jonathan said about when you give. It's about your attitude of giving. It's about your attitude of what you're looking for. So as I'm looking away from God, if God's over there and I'm looking this way, he can't do anything within me and he will not be doing things within me, even though he so desires to do things within me. However, when I turn to face him and seek him, not just face him, it's easy to sort of pretend we're facing God. I just dress up nicely, come to church. It looks like I'm facing God. Come to church with a grizzle in my heart. It looks like I'm facing God. Come to church and Jonathan gives me an exhortation about giving and I think, oh, I gave this little bit. I'm okay. No, no, no. It's about my attitude. Has my attitude. Is it a willing attitude? Am I facing him saying, Lord, I want you as Lord of my life? I spoke to somebody once and said, you've given your heart to the Lord, but have you let him be Lord of your life? Daily, will I be let him be Lord of my life? So what do I need to do? You see, there's two things about this, this transformation. Who's responsible for the transformation of my not being conformed to this world, of my mind, to be more Christ-like. He wants my mind to go from worldly thinking to Christ-like thinking. Who's responsible for that? And the answer is, you are. You're responsible for it. Nobody else, not me, not your pastor, not your wife, not God. You're responsible. But who does the work? Not you. God does the work. Our saving grace is that God does it. God is able to do it and well able to do it, and he can bring a change in me like that. But first he wants me to seek him. Seek God. Second thing he wants me is to find him, and his promise even helps me there. He says, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. So if I look to him and start to seek him, I will then find him. 
And then the third thing he says to me is spend time with me. See, look at the life of Christ. What did he do? All the time you're reading the Bibles and it's fine. He withdrew himself and prayed. He withdrew himself to go unto the Father to spend time with him. Even in the midst of he's going to die the next day or next few, next two days, whenever they took him. I don't know exactly how many days it was before they took him and killed him, but a couple of days. He knew that was happening. He didn't do, as the world would say, get your bucket list out and fill it up and do your bucket list. Make sure you see the glaciers and make sure you do what a bungee jump and make sure you do this, the foolishness of the world. I feel like writing to these people when they got their bucket list. Seek God, find God, and spend time with God while you have it. Be sound advice. No use turning up to heaven's door and says, well, I saw the glaciers. I went to Kalahari Desert. Not worth anything. Not worth nada. Nothing. So the three things I determined to write down for this man I was talking to you about. Write it on a piece of paper. Write it out the other night on a bit of paper. Seek God. Find God. Spend time with God. And really, I have not much else for you. And I have that same message for you today. There's no special key. It's not number of hours you spend your Bible or what book you read in the Bible. It's whether you're prepared to seek God. And whether you're then to, then to find him and then spend time with him. Because I promise you, if you spend time with God, he will speak things to you that will cause you to either obey or not obey. And then you'll either be transformed or not transformed. See, even when I find him and spend time with him, so I'm now facing God. When I was away from God, nothing was ever going to happen to me. Now I'm facing God and I'm seeking him, I'm finding him, I'm spending time with him, and he'll speak a word unto me. He'll speak a word unto me. It could be anything. It could be go and give this person some money. It could be go and say, go and be, do a kind deed for my neighbor. It could be anything. And what he'll be doing is testing my attitude. Is my mind going to be transformed? And by faith will I believe him? Or will I, by reasoning, believe what I see in the world? I look at my bank balance. He says, no, no, go and give some money to this person. And I say, Lord, I want more for when I retire. And God says, no, I want you to go and give a bit of this money to that person. Go and read your Bible, Dan. He says, you'll never leave me nor forsake me. He says, you'll provide for me in everything. He says, what you've got, I've given unto you. You didn't get it for your own efforts. Tests my attitude, you see. By faith, do I believe that? Or will I go back to reasoning and saying, no, no, I'm quite bright. I had an able body. I worked hard. It's mine. If that's the case, we go around the mountain again with God. Do I get changed? No. Does God want me to be changed? Oh, yes, he does. But I've got to seek him. I've got to find him. And then I've got to spend time with him. And he'll speak the same thing to me again. Mightn't be the same th person with the same amount of money, but it'll be the same issue. Same issue. He's wanting for me to become humble before him and to say, really, he is my Lord. So by faith, I'll say, Lord, you are my Lord. And by faith, I will do what you speak to me. By faith. And by faith, we please him. 
And so by faith, my attitudes start to change. And so I start to see the world for what it is. Same as David. And I spoke to Jonathan this morning. But David went down and he looked out and he saw Goliath. And everybody else in that nation, the whole church, as it were, saw a huge man, mighty armor. And he looked out and saw an uncircumcised Philistine who should not be shouting against the people of God. And so he went out and dealt to him. Why? Because he went forth with faith. King Saul was there who tried to give him his ideas. He said, here, take my armor. Take, take my armor. That'll do you good. And David tried it. He took it off. He said, no, no, it's not going to do me any good. I'm going forth with what God has given me, which is a sling stone, but more importantly with what he's given me, which was his spirit. And he went forth and, and Goliath was slaughtered. Now those stories are given to us for our edification today. So that I, looking at this world and see these things that come upon us, so that I would see them as God sees them. I would see them with a clear eye and a, and, and a sure eye. And so I would see an uncircumcised Philistine rather than a large, large man who was mighty in battle. And they're two different things. And all the time God will have us to look upon things. And as we exercise faith to trust him, when he speaks to me as I spend time with him, you'll find you'll change your attitude and change your mind. And you will become more and more Christ-like and become more and more in character, holy and righteous before him. Not that you're not righteous in Christ, you are, but he's wanting it outworked in my life on this earth and in your life on this earth. Hallelujah. Can we just have that? Uh, so, and sing, I think it was the last song. But any one of those last three songs is fine. Maybe the second one, the Overcomer one, something. See, it's the Holy Spirit that changes us. I can't change myself. I can do nothing to change myself, but it is God. Therefore, it's important I find God. It's important I... I seek him, I find him. It's important I spend time with him. Because in your time of spending a quiet time with God, he will speak to you. And I cannot tell you what he will say to you. I have no idea what he will say to you. And some of the things for some of you, or for most of us, it'll be contrary to what we want to do. Hopefully that contrariness reduces, reduces. But you know, even when God spoke to Jesus, Jesus wrestled, I believe, about going to the cross. But he said, nevertheless, your will, because he knew who was Lord of his life. And that was God the Father was the Lord of his life. So he said, no matter what I like, Lord, I will do your will and I will do it willingly. And Christ went to the cross willingly so that we might have salvation. And so he asks us, am I your Lord? And will you be willing? And you know, if you find yourself unwilling, don't go do something. Go back. Go back and find God and say, Lord, give me more faith. Give me the faith so I can do it willingly. Because it's faith that pleases God, not what you do. It's not about behavior. It's never about behavior. It's about your attitude. It's never about behavior. If he speaks to me and he says, listen, I want you to give your weekend up and I want you to go over to this person and help them shift house. 
I worked the week and I got work the next week and I don't want to do that. Oh, I say to Pam, but I feel by the Lord I should go over. So I think I'll go. And I go with that attitude. You know, I'm best not to go. Why, that person might be happy. But between me and God, my relationship has gone no further. Why? Because I have not exercised faith. Because I haven't gone willingly. Because nothing's been changed in me. It's when I exercise faith and I say, Lord, you want me to go. You know best. So I will willingly go for your sake. That a change will happen. And he'll change my attitude. And he'll change my heart. And that's how he works.